Elliot, I couldn't be more excited because now they're trying another Knight Rider reboot. This time it's going to be Justin Lin, and they're going the Star Trek route. They're actually doing it all online. Yeah, but, you know, just like in Justin Lin's Star Trek, he'll probably blow the car up in the first five minutes. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say, get a life. There's nothing worse than a smart-ass automobile. This is Geek Counter Geek. I'm Keith Conrad, at Keith R. Conrad on Twitter. Joined, as always, by Elliot Serrano, at Elliot Serrano on Twitter. Elliot, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, for once, not on the road, not on the run. Um, actually, hold up in the geek cave. So we're you, good. you got your, uh, you got your, uh, your new fake ID, and you're you're under the radar now. I've dyed my hair. I'm kind of, you know, no one knows where I am. I'm okay for at least the next half hour until I have to like get on the move again. Yeah, that's always good. And uh, in addition to following the two of us, you can also follow the show at Geek Counter Geek on, on Twitter and Facebook as well. And as, of course, as you know, we're now a part of the Radio Misfits podcast network. Um, you know, uh, they, they, it, it's amazing to me just like in the past couple of months since we've been involved with this, how much that's growing. Because uh, yeah. you know we're, we're they're they're adding uh, Amy Shira Title, one of my favorite people for the uh, the the Vinged Space podcast, which is pretty much it, it's got Keith Conrad written all over it. Um, that hasn't started yet, but uh, uh, our I believe mutual friend Jill Urchek, she has uh, on a quest. She's on there as well, and uh, yeah, tons of tons of awesome stuff on there. And I you know it's probably not quite the biggest podcast network quite yet but um it you know it's certainly not for lack of effort it's getting there well, we're right now we're a tiny borg cube right we'll be growing. exactly we'll grow yeah. now, we're, we're like the the little borg sphere and we're gonna grow into the big borg cube we're the the borg that could <laughs> the little borg that could that would be the like the worst uh, children's book ever <laughs> so you know, I think I'm going to write that. <laughs> the, the little Borg that could. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it doesn't have a name. It's just got a, a, you know, a number designation. I'd be, um, I'm wondering if I would be like, is my last name Serrano? So it has to be like, like, I'd be six of seven or seven of 11. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Something with an S. Yeah. It seems like seven would be in there. Yeah, well, I'd be seven of eleven, and I'd be in charge of all the big gulps. Oh yeah, see that would be a good job. Now, if you're if you're in a board cube, do you actually like have the same job every day, or you know, are you like alternating roles? Is it whoever gets there first they get to do the job? Because you know, you're part of this big collective brain, so you know, you all know the same things. Well, be like, you know, when Joe Madden does the lineup, you know, you just wherever he wants you to be at that particular time, you know, like the Ben Zobrist. So what you're saying is that Joe Madden is the Borg queen of MLB managers? (laughs) Well, 
<clears throat> have you seen him when he takes that hat off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that is interesting. Speaking of Star Trek, um, I, I don't know how to break this to you, Elliot, but uh, Brian Fuller isn't going to be involved with Star Trek Discovery after all. <sighs> well... I mean, he's. Uh, I'm trying to contain my ire right now, because uh, when no, that news, don't contain. Let out your ire. <laughs> when that news broke, I mean, he's well. He's still involved to an extent. He's an executive producer, but he's no longer the showrunner. Plus, he also, if I understand correctly, he wrote the first two episodes of the series and. He already he wrote the overarching story, you know, story for the first, you know, the first season. Right. Because so they, they said that, uh, you know, each season is going to be a different story. So. So, right. yeah, he's got got the overall arc going on. Um, you know, Some I, I prints on it. But, it, you know, but yeah, the fact that he's not going to be as involved in it is, you know, he's got to step back because why? He has too much going on. He was already running two other shows. And, and of all things that had to give, it would be Star Trek. You know, that's a really sad state of affairs when the one thing you give up out of all your jobs is a Star Trek franchise. Yeah, that doesn't quite speak to, um, you know, Star Trek being in a very strong place right now. Right. Especially when you're going that, you know, you were a, a show writer back in the day. You were a fan. You were really excited about it. And then it's like, oh, you know what? I don't have that. I have the time for it. Smacks of J.J. Abrams. Also, remember, J.J. did the same thing. Backed well, that's out. true. Yeah. But um, he, he, you know, he always sort of made his position on that known that, you know, he was actually, uh, you know, a Star Wars guy from way back. And, you know, he. He grew to become a Star Trek fan, or so he said. And so I don't think anybody yeah. was shocked when he decided, you know, when he was offered the chance to go do Star Wars and actually took it. Oh, well, but then he had to be convinced to do it, because remember, he was asked to do it. He said no, and then Kathleen Kennedy had to go to his house and convince him to do it. So that whole thing. Now, with Brian Fuller and Star Trek, you're like, wait, okay, at what point did, did the, you know, it sounds like, did he back out and say, I can't do it anymore? Or did the exec say, okay, buddy, maybe you've got too much going on here. We're taking, we're kind of like, you know, moving this over. I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's my understanding that the new showrunner is, is a very capable showrunner and, and, and going on um, and a woman as well. So, you know, I guess we can't, you know, we should be at least applauding that. But, you know, again, to me, the fact that it started and stopped, started and stopped, and yes, that he left the show before they even cast the lead. Right, yeah. He cast the lead, yeah. It's kind of hard for him to feel good or bad about the, the thing at this point, because yeah. it's still so, which, which, by the way, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, we're recording this right at the beginning of November. It's supposed to, you know, it, it's supposed to show up early, you know, very early next year. You know, I, I'm thinking they might be at a point where they're going to have to push it back again. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do unless, I mean, they, they've been in pre-production, but they haven't cast anybody. Remember, we talked about that before. And here I was thinking, oh, they're being super secretive. And next thing you know, they're going to unveil an episode in January. We're really like, oh, wow, how did they do that? Because, you know, all these other movies are making sequels that we don't know about. Like they went and they made a Blair Witch Project sequel. We didn't know about it. There was a, a, a Cloverfield you know, a Cloverfield movie sequel that we didn't know about. They just show up and I thought, ah, they're going to do the same thing with Star Trek. 
boy, was I a chump. <laughs> yeah, you know, as much as you and I both love Star Trek, it's never been that well run that they could pull something like that off. No, no, not that, you know, something that high, high level, which makes me, nah, and then you would go, you, it would make you wonder about how production for the CBS app, you know, for their online content is going. Well, if this is supposed to be their flagship show, no pun intended, um, you know, it, it seems like it would be in CBS's best interest to, to get this thing going one way or the other. Or get it going as best as you can, because you're expecting yeah. people to pay good money for this. Well, I, I keep wondering, you know, okay, so this is supposed to be the, you know, beginning of, you know, sort of like CBS's answer to Netflix, you know, that, that kind of idea, you know, monthly, monthly payment and you get access to, you know, all sorts of archival CBS stuff and, you know, the, these, these new shows of which I've heard nothing about any, any other new show other than Star Trek. Like right now, I believe that's the only thing that's on the docket. Um, yeah, I, it, so I keep wondering if it's going to be like, uh, you know, House of Cards, where it's a show that very easily could have shown up on network television or HBO or something like that. Or if it's going to be like that uh, little uh, uh, web series that they did of, uh, you know, web prequel series they did of Battlestar Galactica for, for a little while there. Uh, Blood and Chrome? Yeah, where it was all green screen and it was all very clearly green screen. Yeah, kind of not that great. No, I mean, well, apparently, though, the budget for Discovery is like one of the highest television budgets around, like nine million an episode. Now, that's not bad. I'd take that if somebody gave it to me. Yeah, I mean, I remember when Star Trek Next Generation first premiered, it was one of the most expensive uh, series on television, and it only had a uh, a budget of a one million a, uh, an episode. You know, wow. so that's you know, a lot of a inflation. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> uh, excuse me, Bush. Thank you. Well, actually, yeah. There's <laughs> been a lot of presidents since then. Since then, um, so you know, it's um, it, it's it's you can tell it's not like they're skimping on it. They're not skimping. Just uh, things are happening that are just not making me feel real confident. It's amazing how quickly my confidence, first my confidence wasn't that high, and then it jumped up, remember? Yeah, I I remember it it just happened to be about the exact moment they hired Brian Fuller. Yep, I was like, awesome! This is going to be incredible! Brian Fuller, incredibly intelligent, great writer, did did Hannibal, one of my favorite series, because, you know, Hannibal's one of my favorite, you know, the Hannibal series is one of my favorite books and, and did a wonderful job adapting it for television. And, oh, boy, Star Trek's going to be great because he's got the pedigree and you have Nicholas Meyer there and all these other things. And, no. Yeah. yeah. So so far, anyway. Yeah. So it, it, it's not off to a rip-roared start. But you know what? If, if, you, had, if you had been following, say, uh, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation – uh, there's actually now a documentary about all the stuff that went through during the first couple seasons. It was it was pretty epic. First of all, just getting it on the air to begin with, and then all the infighting, you know, through the first three years up until about the time, uh, you know, uh, up until actually, ironically enough, uh, the best of both worlds when, you know, I think most people agree it really started to hit its stride. Um, 
you know, that was finally when they got past all that stuff. So, you yeah, know, people forget you went. Yeah. You watch those first two seasons of Star Trek and it's, it's rough. It's hard to get through the, the acting isn't that great. You can tell they haven't quite figured out the characters and poor Will Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> and they were almost, you know, when you look at the first couple seasons, it's almost like they were going for something that was like as campy as the original series, but sort of an 80s version of it. Right. And, and then, then and then as you get, you know, season three and beyond, they're actually taking things. They're actually taking their world seriously. Right. And then the acting gets better and the scripts get better and everyone gets more comfortable with the characters. And next thing you know, boom, classic television show. Or maybe it just seemed that way because, you know, about that time, Dr. Crusher came back and maybe we we're just all so relieved about that, that, you know, everything mm-hmm. seemed okay. Every, Gates McFadden makes everything better. She, she really does. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it would be interesting I, to create a montage of all the times that we've talked about Star Trek Discovery to just follow the roller coaster ride that we've had. <laughs> you talking me down off the ledge every time. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, it, it, it seems like a long way until we'll actually get to see an episode. Yeah. I mean, well, we're, we're, we're going to see an episode, right? It's not like they're going to pull the plug on this thing. You never know. You never know. Yeah. I mean, I'm just waiting for them to say, well, you know, we're going to make it a movie instead. Um, oh, that that's an interesting idea. You know mm-hmm. what they you know what they could do? And, and maybe they're kind of leaning towards this uh, anyway, although I, I think they said it's like a full 22 episode sort of thing. Right. It didn't didn't have, haven't they at least gone that far? I thought I heard. Oh, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm, I've read so many different things. I mean, I thought it was a, um, um, uh, like a ten to ten to thirteen deal. But yeah. of course, I could oh, so that, that would be more the cable model, um, right? But but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a, uh, you know, it, it's still a, uh, you know, more traditional, you know, feel as far as a, a season. You know what they could do though. And it might be a little late in the game to do this is instead of being more traditional, maybe go the Sherlock route and do, you know, like three or four hour and a half, basically movies for a season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Follow. Yeah. The, follow the, the BBC model. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 done very well, both with, uh, you know, Sherlock and a number of other shows that have translated well over here across the pond. Hmm. That might be a thing. I, well, you know, it, if they're listening, which we know that they are. People are listening because it seems like every time we talk about things, that sort of it's it pops up. Yeah. So. I, I, we're, we're, and, we're, and yet we're idiots. We're idiots savants. And yet uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen any royalty checks yet. Oh, no. Well, no, no, not yet. I just uh, want my 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 I just want my. um. I just want my lock of Gates McFadden's hair. Well, now it's starting to uh, go into the <laughs> creepy frontier. Uh, also in the, I'm not sure whether to be happy or worried about this file. Um, David Kep, who's writing the, um, you know, the, the screenplay for Indiana Jones five. Um, he, did, he did four. He, you know. he did four, so, you know, temper your enthusiasm with that. But, but I mean, they, he... They signed a script by Frank Darabont, mind you. Yeah, Frank, I mean, he's... Um, 
you know, he, he's a pretty skilled writer. I mean, uh, he's he's really been, you know, first of all, he's worked with Spielberg a lot. Um, I know just off the top of my head, he wrote the screenplay for uh, uh, War of the Worlds back in uh, five. Jurassic uh, Park, The Lost World. He wrote the Jurassic Park sequel. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, that one, it seems like, um, you know, people generally liked it at the time, but have kind of soured on it over the years. Oh, I never liked it. I oh, you never he, did. No. I did not like Jurassic, The Lost World. Um, okay, well, I, I stand corrected because uh, <laughs> uh, of the people on, on this podcast currently, you know, it's at best 50-50, so. War <laughs> <laughs> of the Worlds was pretty good, though. I mean, you know, again, well, David Kep is is a good screenwriter. I'm going to give him that. And um, the, the script to Crystal Skull had so many little moments in it that I think people tend to they, they, they focus so much on the um, the aliens that they forget all the great character moments that the movie had. So um, I really I enjoyed it just for mostly for that. I still to this day and, and people are shocked when I tell them this. Um, I put it solidly ahead of Temple of Doom because even though uh, Short Round is uh, is actually one of my favorite characters from Indiana Jones, I, I think that's the weakest movie. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's it tends to be it's very it's stereotypical. Um, Indiana Jones is a horrible, horrible zoologist. There are no vampire bats in India. <laughs> well, I, you know, I I have a theory on that. Um, I think uh, he was just saying that to sound authoritative. Yes. Um, because he knew that Willie wouldn't know the difference. Right. Yeah. Just say that. Yeah. Say that to freak the girl out. Yeah. Much. I mean, you, you just you say it. You sound like you know what you're talking about, and then uh, you know Willie's going to be impressed. That's that's what that's all he was doing. But um, yeah, I'm guessing with uh, the with Indiana Jones five, they've they've got the MacGuffin. They know what the MacGuffin is going to be, and that's always been a big thing. They've got the MacGuffin, um, but they don't have the George Lucas. That's that's what we're getting at. That's the thing. He, this, that's going to be the twist. George Lucas is going to be the MacGuffin. Oh, you think so? That that's that the that's MacGuffin. that's not a bad idea right now. Um, you know, uh, Indiana Jones and the Search for the Museum by the Lake. <laughs> In the Indiana Jones and the and the Temple of the Lost Scripts. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing ever if there was just like, um, you know, like literally when we meet Indiana Jones, he's starting, he's, he's trying to build a museum on Lake Michigan, but he's running into zoning issues. <laughs> you know, you've got, you know, these aldermen blowing poison darts at him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can see, again, you know, I know that they haven't, uh, you know, they haven't broken the story yet on the movie. So if you're listening, I mean, you know, it's something to think about. Something to think about. The, the friends of the park will have a nice role as, you know, exploding, you know, tourists, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so I guess, you know, much like, much like uh, Star Trek Discovery, we're, we're still so early in the process that I guess, uh, you know, I, obviously... Not having George Lucas involved, it'll be different, you know. Um, but I don't think there's any reason to be worried about that quite yet. I mean, I, I, I guess it depends on uh, your point of view. 
um, if you think that uh, George Lucas was responsible for some of those uh, weaker moments in Crystal Skull, or if, you know, that was a function of Harrison Ford being about 20 years older, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe Spielberg changing as a director a little bit, you know, maybe, uh, you know, just everything sort of not clicking quite right. You know, to me, I know with with Indy 5, I'm sorry, with Indy 4, back to the whole issue of, you know, there's so many people were upset about the aliens bit and and um, transdimensional beings, trans interdimensional beings, yeah. right? <clears throat> they know what dimension they want to be. They're in the dimension they prefer. Right, exactly. They self-identify as as That's right. the, as their dimension. Their dimension. The thing being, though, that um, <clears throat> a lot of those bits that folks took issue with. In, in the script, you know, the 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 um, the, the nuclear blast escaped via uh, getting inside a refrigerator. Um, the uh, even the bit with um, Mutt swinging through the trees. I'm gonna tell you right now, for me myself, you take out that bit where Mutt does the Tarzan bit. Um, you know, with the monkeys, mm-hmm. that that it, the movie right there, boom, you, you reduce the camp factor by a good ten percent. And people don't have as as much of an issue with it. I think that I think that people would have accepted the lead lined refrigerator or the Tarzan bit, but not both. Putting it right, both was a fridge too far. That's that's essentially what happened. Oh, okay. I'm gonna ignore that. (laughs) (laughs) But those bits were in the original Frank Darabont script, which people. Um, insisted was one of the greatest scripts ever. And uh, except in the original Frank Darabont script, it's Indy who's doing the bit swinging through the trees and using his whip. Um, and there's e- there was even a point in one of the one of the um, drafts, and I want to say it was in Jeb Stewart draft, that Indy was uh, doing a wi- uh, wing walking bit where he was on the wing of an airplane. And there was a, a chase sequence with the 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 flying saucers of mars you know and then they were and he was on the wing of a pl- of a biplane and um again all these bits pulled from the old you know the, the old pulpy action films that are kind of you know you watch them now they seem kind of they were kind of goofy but indy always tended to contemporize them you know you know to the best that they could yeah <clears throat> but you know i, I you know again Lucas's involvement with all the movies has always been he sits down with Spielberg and Marshall, Frank Marshall, the, the, the producer. They, get, they all sit down, or the screenwriter too, and they just sit down, they, they hammer out all the gimmicks, all the bits that are going to happen in the movie, and they try to figure out a way to put all those gimmicks into a screenplay. And, you know, I'm guessing, you know, with Crystal Skull, yes, um, Lucas said, we wanted to make it aliens because it's indie in the 50s. And what was the big thing in the 50s? The Red Scare, the atomic, you know, the the the, the threat of atomic war mm-hmm. and aliens. Yeah. And if, and if you look at it that way, <clears throat> you know, then, uh, you know, indie sort of fighting the Nazis in, you know, two of the three previous movies. That's really just him sort of living in that era. Um, and, 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 and it makes you wonder if... Um, Okay, so the the last one was in 57. Um, That was five years ago, 
mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit more. It's going to be a little bit later. So you're probably taught maybe 64, 65 ish. What about the 60s? Indiana Jones versus the Beatles. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the one thing about Indy has always been what is um, he took the these adventures always took place during the time of the great expansion, technological expansion, how exploration um, just advanced so much because of technology. So we're in the atomic age now. Maybe maybe we are talking about the radio and television age. Maybe we're talking about how the world is shrinking and the world isn't as strange a place because you can see everything on your television set. Yeah. And and also, you know, um, 57 would have been right before uh, Sputnik. So if it's, you know, if you're following the same timeline that it's, you know, it's going to be sort of the same number of years and everything later, then you're right in the middle of the space race. So at the risk of, um, you know, rehashing the saucer men from Mars, yeah, that might figure into the story, too. <clears throat> yeah, I'm thinking about who knows. I mean, maybe not so much, again, not so much aliens, but, um, again, the idea of exploration. Maybe. I'm thinking, maybe, a, I'm thinking maybe, a fist fight between Indiana Jones and Jim Lovell. <laughs> it could be like Moonraker, Indian space. Oh, man, I hope. All right, this is a time I hope they're not listening to us. We should really stop throwing out ideas at this point. I mean, but not, Indiana, we, Indiana Jones and the fake moon landing. <clears throat> oh, wouldn't that be, you know... I, I might I might actually be entertained by that if uh, it, if that was actually what was going on in this in this story. It's like Indy's trying to bring to light the fact that they're faking the moon landing. Yeah, you know, Indy's saying there's no way you can do that, and, you know. And he's the first guy that Buzz Aldrin punches. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that that would that would bring together a lot of different things. A lot of things. Yeah. So uh, we, we've we've sort of mentioned its existence, but uh, we haven't really talked about it all that much. Um, um, have you uh, have you been watching Westworld at all? You know, everyone's. I've I know I have not watched it. I know we have spoken about it on this podcast a couple times, and I keep meaning to watch it. Um, I just have not had a chance. I I keep hearing mixed reviews about it, though. Really. I hear some, I hear some folks who say it's brilliant. And incredible and better than the source material. I have someone who I trust quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> actually, he's my editor at Dynamite. He says it's boring. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's I. It's a tough uh, crack, though, when it comes to entertainment, which makes me wonder why he even likes any of my scripts. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no accounting for taste. Um, oh, you know, it, it's interesting because when you, when you look at this source material, because it was a Michael Crichton. Uh, you know, he couldn't quite make a novel out of it, so he just wrote a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe he even directed it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this was post-Andromeda Strain, but before, obviously, way before Jurassic Park. 
Which is essentially um, the same idea, but yeah. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> you know, when you look at Michael Crichton's stories, there are a lot of them that are sort of the same basic idea. Like, there's been this huge, there's this group, usually, uh, you know, evil, greedy corporation, that has made some gigantic te- technological leap that most people aren't aware of. And, um, you know, sort of the, the main characters, you know, they're, they're learning about this, this thing. Uh, West, like Ro- Westworld was a little different because, you know, everybody was aware of the theme park. But, you know, it's sort of the same idea. You know, you look at Sphere and Jurassic Park and, you know, it's, it's all kind of the same idea. Um, he, it's like John Grisham, except instead of a corporation, it's a plucky lawyer. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of right there. Um, but uh, in the, um, you know, in the original movie, it's basically just sort of the, you know, I, I think you could you could make an argument that it's very similar to Terminator in, in the same vibe is that, OK, so we've created these artificially intelligent robots and they turn on us and start killing people. And I always thought of. <clears throat> I always thought of it like as demon seed, you know, again, the house, the intelligent house that, you know, again, technology serve that's created to serve us or to entertain us ultimately turns on us because we abuse it. Yeah. And and I've I've noticed, you know, when you when you think about, um, okay, Terminator, that wasn't necessarily like us mistreating artificial intelligence. It was just artificial intelligence deciding it didn't want us around anymore. Um, well, that's the assumption, mind you. That is the assumption. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we that, that that bit is never really dealt with. Mind you, I never saw Terminator Genesis. So you I are know. indeed one of the fortunate ones. <laughs> I know that they deal with the actual origin of Skynet in Terminator Genesis. Yeah, <clears> but, um, you know, now, let, let me, uh, uh, as far as Terminator Genesis, let me say that uh, Amelia Clark is awesome as Sarah Connor. But the script is horrible, and everything else is just god-awful. I mean, it, it, spoilers for those who haven't seen Terminator Genesis. I mean, Matt Smith ultimately becomes Skynet. Right, except he's in the movie for a grand total of about three minutes. Three minutes. So you cast Doctor Who as Skynet, and you waste him. And, and you basically don't use him. Don't use him, which is oh, ridiculous. Um, but you know the the bit about again. I, I think who the one one of the, the one movie that explored the relationship between man and artificial intelligence the best. I think was the movie AI Spielberg's um, film. You know where you were based on the um, Stanley Kubrick script, <clears throat> where you know you saw how you know we tend to create these things and then um, we just. We take it for granted. We abuse it. We turn on it, thus causing it to turn on us. Um, yeah, and, and I think in in AI, it was sort of a, it's a sort of a, a more practical thing. Like um, you know, on you know, there's probably one group of people who didn't like them because you know, quite literally, they're stealing our jobs. Um, or you know, quasi religious. Qua- there are some folks who. Yeah. Were- Quasi-religious reasons, you know, um, they, they seem just a little bit too human and some people didn't seem to like that. So, there, you know, it was probably fairly realistic because, you know, in, in that sort of situation where we actually develop artificial intelligence, 
there would probably be a number of different factions of people who wouldn't like them for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And then you have, of course, you know, the ethical part, you know, the ethical reasons in it. You know, if you have, if you create intelligent life, um, there's going to come a point where that intelligence is going to kind of rival your own. And you, you really have no say so in, in the kind of life it should lead. And, and if you try to restrict it, you know, you, you would only expect some sort of revolt. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, because in like the, the Battlestar Galactica universe, the whole idea, you know, at least the, the, the new Battlestar Galactica universe never really explored where the Cylons came from in, in the original series. They, you know, they were just, you know, some lizard people didn't like humans, so they made robots to kill them. I mean, that, that was that was sort of it. Um, but but in the in the new one, you know, it was so we developed artificial intelligence and just made it do work for us you know no matter no matter what it was that was that was sort of their lot in life and um you know when you when you think about it that way there's you know what what would you expect other for other than them getting mad and eventually maybe not you know trying to wipe out humanity but certainly uh getting mad and maybe going on strike at the very least (laughs) and starting their own religion as well Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that. That again, those themes have been explored. Also, uh, Blade Runner touches on that a bit too, with replicants. You know, essentially the same thing. Human, you know, replicants created to do work for us in places that human beings can't go. And then, because they are intelligent and because they have all the range of emotions and <clears throat> wanting to know self and identity, that you know, they feel like, where do we? You know, what is our purpose? And why do we have such a short lifespan and and all the, the conflict that comes with that? Um, I, so now, I'm, now I even want to watch Westworld even more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, <clears throat> at this point, we're about halfway through the first season. Um, so obviously they, they have a, a long running they, they plan on this thing being around for at least, you know, five, six seasons. And based on the ratings, it looks like it will be, you know, plus HBO is going to treat it a little differently anyway. It's not like you would have to break ratings records to stick around. Um, but, um, you know, so so they're basically at, at this point still just sort of introducing the basic ideas. Um, but but so far, it's really good. But I, I, you know, I've noticed something at least a little disturbing with this. Um you know, as I said before, um, you know, in sort of the Terminator world, uh, you know, Skynet is, you know, wor- worried about us pulling the plug. So it decides to attack us first um, in Battlestar Galactica. They're sick of doing menial jobs and not having any rights. So they decide to, uh, you know, they decide they want to, uh, you know, they want to fight us uh, here. It. it devolves to the point where literally these artificially intelligent beings are there just so that human beings can kill and rape them. I mean, that that's literally what they exist for. So it seems like uh, things are just getting worse for artificial intelligence in pop culture. So when we actually develop artificial intelligence um, and, you know, it, it, for the first time it plugs into the Internet and it torrents an episode of Westworld. Oh, we're really screwed. Oh, geez. I just hope they don't watch any of the presidential debates. Well, at least we're going to elect our first android president. I don't give a bag of butts who won the election. Nothing's going to change. 
The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cabotron.